What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Ben here to introduce this week's episode with Evan Kaloudis from the ZeusLN.app, the creator of ZeusLN.app. Go check that out. Uh, we talk all about it in the episode. Evan uh, is a incredible builder working on some really cool stuff. He's got a good security background. Matt and I uh, drank some moonshine with him and talked about a bunch of stuff. We got a little passionate at the end. Um, so I think you freaks are going to enjoy this. This week's episode of Tales from the Crypt is sponsored by Cash App. Cash App has been number one in the finance section of the App Store for almost two years. It was the first major um, reading the wrong ad. God damn it. Well, this happens sometimes. I'm going to start out. We got new ad copy for the Cash App. You guys are going to get that outtake. I'll give you that outtake uh, as I scroll to the new copy because we got new copy because they got new functionalities now that you can buy stocks. Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. As you know, Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money. And now it's the simplest way to grow your money. Introducing Cash App Investing. Unlike investing tools that only let you uh, buy entire shares of stocks, Cash App lets you instantly invest as little or as much as you want. This way, when your favorite company's stock is just a little too expensive, you can still own a piece with uh, as little as $1. So you can uh, stack, stack stocks now if you want to. I, so you can still stack sats. Send sats, receive sats, uh, because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account. There are no four to five day waiting periods for your inbound transfers, so you can start investing today. Uh, brokerage services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary of Square and uh, member SIPC. And as always, use the code Stacking Sats. Um, you're going to get five dollars, and five dollars is going to go to Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. Um, I've heard a few of your freaks think Owls Lacrosse is Owls Lacrosse. Uh, A-L apostrophe S is Owls, O-W-L-S. Uh, sorry for my Philly accent coming out and that pronunciation. Pretty poor there. But actually, we have some good news. Caught up with Sam Angelata, who is the executive director of Owls over the weekend. Um, uh, Cash App delivered the money we raised from the Stacking Sats promo code uh, to Sam last week. And that money is enough to... Uh, provide a student with uh, academic and athletic resources throughout the year. So good on you freaks who uh, downloaded the Cash App and used the code stacking sats. We're going to keep this going, thinking about maybe potentially doing um, a campaign for owls leading up to Christmas or something like that. Um, we'll we'll mull that over uh, the next couple of months or so and let you know about that. But still, stacking sats, you're going to get five. It's still going to go to owls. Let's pump those stats. Get those, uh, pump those stats, stack those sats, use the cash app, use the code stacking sats. Um, this episode's also brought to you by Casa. Our friends at Casa have drummed up one of the smartest and most secure ways to hold your Bitcoin. They've got really cool products out there. They just launched their second node. Um, they have their multi-sig uh, services, which are separate from the node, and they can help you protect your Bitcoin, get peace of mind. Uh, they're going to walk you through an OPSEC plan. Uh, there's no KYC, no altcoins, no percentage fees on your Bitcoin, no one standing between you and your keys. Uh, and they have packages. So depending on what you're looking uh, to do specifically, how much Bitcoin you're looking to secure uh, using Casa as a solution, uh, you can you can get uh, diamond, platinum, gold memberships. Uh, but for serious holders, you're going to go diamond or platinum, and that's going to net you 24-7 VIP service, dedicated client advisors, and a custom onboarding and OPSEC plan. Again, they're going to go through your OPSEC plan. Email them at membership 
uh, at team.casa. Throw your hardest offset questions at them. Uh, have them walk you through their product. They're very open to this. They'll let you test it out before you engage. Use the code TFTC. If you do decide to go with Casa, and you're going to get up to $250 off your Casa membership. Um, yeah, they're all about privacy. They're, they're working on privacy tech. They're always thinking uh, about the end user and, and, and securing Bitcoin, giving you peace of mind. So go check out Casa. Uh, at keys.casa slash keymaster. Um, enjoy this episode, freaks. Uh, Evan, Matt, and I had a very good time drinking moonshine. Okay. Cheers, cheers. What is up, freaks? Ooh, it's your boy Marty Benton. He just took his first sip of moonshine ever. It wasn't too bad. Why are you, why are you grimacing over there? Uh, questionable. <laughs> questionable. <laughs> Obviously, Matt Odell was, uh, is with us. We're uh, joined with Evan Cludus as well. Uh, just been corrected to how, how to say your name correctly. I'm sorry for mispronouncing. Hey, no worries. Sup, freaks. Um, just really glad to be on the podcast. Um, big fan, long time fan. Well, I'm pumped to have you here. Pumped for this conversation. For you freaks that don't know, uh, Evan is the creator of... Uh, the Zeus LN.app. Uh, it's a Zeus uh, Lightning Network wallet, and uh, he's a New York Bitcoiner. He has been co-hosting the Bitcoin Citadel demonstrations with our good friend Matt O'Dell. Uh, we've only done one at Chaincode, but um, uh, it's just a good Bitcoiner, and I'm happy to have him. He's got moonshine. Let's start before we ease into Bitcoin and Lightning Network. What the fuck are we drinking? <laughs> so, yeah, I think this might be one of the stranger presented uh liquors you guys have had on the show yeah it came in a water bottle <laughs> yeah it just looks it was clear unmarked water bottle this is from my yaya um you know my gr- great-grandmother uh she brought this from my grandfather's village in ipiros which is the very northern tip of greece you could pretty much see albania from our uh, our little house there and uh yeah i had the option of you know bringing marty and matt either uh you know a bottle of uh, Tsipura, uh from uh you know duty free or bring them the real authentic stuff and you know i i had to do it big so we got the authentic stuff <laughs> it tastes good i'm moonshine scares me should i be scared of moonshine i've never drank it before and people say you can go blind what is it about i never knew there was greek moonshine i thought moonshine was a indigenous state appalachian states here in america oh no we, we got a couple of How, uh like, takes US on centric it. of you <laughs> We got uh, Tsipura, we got uh, Raki. Uh, man, I had a great experience with my godbrother Michali drinking Raki, la- not last year, but two summers ago. It got me and my girlfriend really drunk, so shouts to Michali for that. Yeah, the Greeks don't mess around with uh, you know, the liquor. We got our moonshine, you know, we, we like a little bit of whiskey. Uh, we've, we've got our wines, a lot of red wines. So you've got a lot of extended family in Greece, and you grew up here though, right? Uh, yeah, I was, um, you know, born in Queens, raised in Long Island, uh, sort of always been in New York State my whole life. Yeah. Um, big, yep. big fat Greek family? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, when, when you get past the first degree of cousins and you go to second and third cousins, it gets a little hairy, so, you know, uh, it gets hard to remember everyone's names at the holidays sometimes, but, you know, it's, it's a big family, it's a great family. And you were just back in Greece, right? Yeah, yeah. I I just went, uh, was it like two months ago I was there? Uh, I was in Athens for a week. I was in Zagynthos, a beautiful island for a week. 
Um, Athens was really cool uh, because I got to sync up with the Athens Bitcoiners there. They did a little impromptu like social gathering and uh, yeah, it was just great to see all the you know figures in the scene just you know getting together and. What's it, what's it like over there? Is there a lot of Bitcoiners in Greece? Uh, dude, I was I was surprised by this meetup. You know, it was like 30, 40 people came out or something like that. You know, and uh, you know different groups and uh, whatnot. You know, we had some people there uh, that weren't pure Bitcoiners. Some people working on Ethereum too, and intrigued by the smart contract stuff. But yeah, like a lot of like uh, honest, tried and true uh, Bitcoiners out there. Uh, the, this guy Dimitri like organizes the meetup, and he's gotten some great great speakers out there from Antonopoulos, you know, who's also Greek, to Amir Taki. I think he's gotten to come speak out there. Um, we got this guy Argy. He passed me the LN torch. So um, yeah, that was another fun thing. Uh, we got Zeus or you know myself rather in on the LN torch thing. And uh, my goal was to get the torch and send it to Greece, but it actually ended up being the other way around. <laughs> so this guy argued, uh, passed me the torch, and I'm like, you know what? It, it got to Greece. That's all I care. And, you know, I got to meet him and sit down with him. And we had, like, some really amazing in-depth, uh, you know, discussions from, you know, politics, uh, you know, all these different labels, uh, Antifa. Um, what are your got- thoughts on Antifa? <laughs> Antifa, oh man, now, now you're hitting me with the loaded question. Um, we spoke a lot about this because Argy was sort of getting chewed out by some, you know, some um, more American-leaning, uh, you know, as far as ideology, uh, Bitcoiners, right? And, um, yeah, it's just like, it's it really comes down to cultural differences at, at the end of the day. Like, you know, fascism was widespread through Europe, but, you know, we don't really have the, that equivalent in the States. I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think we've seen real fascism in America ever, really. Well, what was the fascism like in Europe that you're speaking of? Like, what are you... You know, you're, you're talking about Franco and Mussolini and Hitler to, you know, in his own way. Um, you know, Antifa there was just like, you know, reactionary to all this messed up stuff that was going on. And, um, you know, in that different context, it, it doesn't like really make sense in the same way that it does in the United States. In what way? Um, you know, it's just the way that they treat people out, out on the streets. Like, you know, for example, if Antifa in Greece, right, started uh, attacking innocent bystanders, there would be a reaction from the more right radical uh revolutionaries or not revolutionaries but radicals like uh golden dawn in greece like you know those things aren't tolerated really yeah and this all stems back to like the 2009 2008 2009 crisis and that's one of my favorite chapters in boomerang a book by michael lewis who wrote moneyball and the big short and liars poker and a bunch of other books one of his underscore books i've talked about it on this podcast before boomerang though they did like a whole chapter on greece italy how they got added into the EU, like how their balance sheets were basically manipulated by the Goldman Sachs, by Goldman Sachs and the IMF to, to get them into the European Union. And then um, it hasn't been a great ride, right? Like there's... It's... Yeah, I mean, it, it's been pretty crazy there. So the week that I was there in Athens, they had just lifted their capital controls. 
you know it, it, it's it's crazy like for what were their capital controls in particular uh it was withdrawal limits at the atms and i think it was something like uh something like three hundred dollars a day i think it may have been less uh they eventually turned that daily limit into like a combined weekly limit that helped a little bit but um yeah that that, that was in place until you know the, the week i was there it's like two months ago so um yeah, it's just it's just sort of mind-boggling uh-huh. that we still have these restrictions in place, or or that you know they're they're so common. Yeah, well, let's use this as an opportunity to circle back. Like, why the hell did you get into Bitcoin in the first place? Like, does this stuff drive you towards Bitcoin in particular, or did you come to it from a tech perspective? Um, it's really a lot of different uh pers- like angles that I came at it from. I I have uh, um, you know this uh. My, my godbrother's uh, father is a bit of a gold bug. He manages a hedge fund, and he really got me into a lot of, like, uh, the Austrian school of thought, and, you know, he's always tried to push on me the idea of, you know, gold is money, everything else is dead, or, you know, or bullshit, more or less. Um, and then... Is he your crazy uncle, or... Her? I, oh, he's certainly crazy, but he's, like, <laughs> he's brilliant, too, like... You know, certainly, you know, a little too extreme at times, uh, oftentimes doesn't know his audience, but he's still brilliant nonetheless. I think, uh, I feel like the the gold bugs and the hard money advocates like us Bitcoiners are starting to have our day. I feel like people are starting to come around to, to gold and Bitcoin as money. I mean, obviously, the, the Real Vision episode that dropped today was safe. It's gotten like a good reaction from the gold bugs, from my observation, at least. Um... So gold was one thing. You're a dev as well. You're building on this. Is that? Did you come to it first from economics, and then I'll be like, oh shit, I can build stuff on this? Or it was it was all at once because so really it was it was like a three year journey I would say. So um, that first year that I went to school, I, I went to Fordham University. Um, uh, go Rams. Go Rams. So that first year, that first semester, really is when Occupy Wall Street really started to come, going up, mm-hmm. and uh, I, had, I was living on the floor with a great group of guys. And um, just one day, we decided to go see what the Zuccotti Park protests were all about. I think uh, what really pushed us to the edge was we heard a rumor that Radiohead was going to show up and play a set, and uh, they, they they didn't. I think uh, some other indie rock band like. Uh, I think the lead singer of Neutral Milk Hotel went and played Jeff Mangum. But anyway, we didn't catch that. Not but we did, uh, you know, we ended up seeing what was going on. We saw all the energy down there. And, uh, you know, not everyone came back, but I found myself going back, you know, five, six times. What was the vibe like? Oh, it was, it was crazy. It was chaotic. And th- that's what a lot of people tell you about Occupy Wall Street, that, oh, that's why it didn't work. The, Different people had different demands. It was unorganized. Uh, you know, demands weren't really serious. But you know, there was also differing opinions there too. You know, you had people showing up with suits, smoking cigars, with cardboard cutouts of Ronald Reagan, <laughs> saying that Reagan was the best president. You had these extreme leftists. You had um, you had Peter Schiff down there. Peter Schiff did an incredible debate of dismantling of all these little leftists down at Occupy Wall Street. I remember his, he had one video about like the minimum wage, right? Or um... he would just debate like random people, right? Yeah, yeah. This was like 
you know, he would talk to someone until they would pretty much rage quit. And he did this for like, I don't know, it was like 10 or 15 people on YouTube and it was spanned like 50 minutes. And we were there just watching it live. We're like, he was just so thorough and, you know, pragmatic with his dismantling of these ideas. Like it wasn't his first time at the rodeo. And, um, you know, even, even though Peter Schiff is <laughs> somewhat of an enemy of Bitcoin right now, I, I always remember that. He's a, he's a hard money advocate. That's, a, that's, a, that's an ally that doesn't know it. Yeah, yet. yeah. He's not, he's not Krugman. He's not a central banker. He shows he, gold because that's what his business is. But he definitely owns Bitcoin. I hope so. And, and I, re- I really think He'll he should. He'll admit it, but he didn't buy it. It was sent to him. No, besides that Bitcoin. Besides the Bitcoin that what, like, Tom sent to him and like, some other people sent to him. Yeah, so I think he'll come around. Yeah, I hope so because be I, I've been to. tweeting at him a little bit. I'm like, Peter, you know, you there's no law that says you either have to sell gold or Bitcoin. You can sell both, man. <laughs> like, they're both gonna advance, you know, your ideas of freedom. They're both competing against the U.S. dollar, Fed, funny money. Why not? I mean, why not? That's a good question. Why not, Peter? I mean, I prefer Bitcoin over gold. Maybe he does too, and he realizes it. So he's like, I got to check it for as long as possible while I dump my bags. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think he'll come around. He'll be forced to come around. But again, like uh, I've uh, become more uh, of a believer that we should try to uh, reach out to the gold bugs and use them as allies in our, in our fight for hard money. They had the most in common with us when it comes to uh, economic views on this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. And, you know, it's not like the easiest thing to come around to. So, like I, w- I was saying, me coming into Bitcoin, like it took me like three years to really have that like aha moment, you know, where I'm like, this makes total sense. And this isn't just like, you know, some just average person. I was studying computer science. I had... My uncle Savas telling me all this crazy, uh, you know, Austrian stuff and contrarian views. You know, it, it sort of takes time for to like really, really click, just because of you know all the pieces that are involved and all the different levels you have to think about it on. What were the uh, the different stages you went through, and what was the final aha moment? Where like, fuck, I'm gonna start building shit for this. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, from the Occupy stuff and seeing how bad the banks got bailed out while people who were really struggling got kicked to the curb. Or to see the bail-ins in Cyprus, you know, that that was really a big moment that made me dive into it. And then, um, you know, seeing all the sort of commerce that happened on the Silk Road, both good and bad, but you know, was ultimately new to us in cyberspace. But um, it's really just the interactions you have personally with um, the protocol and with the money that, you know, really highlighted. You need need the personal context for it to all click. So I guess, like, one of the best examples is, um, I guess about three or four years ago, I... uh, went to London to visit my buddy Rob. Uh, Rob and I helped, uh, he helped me start this uh, music site um, called beatsperminute.com. That's I, a good story. Yeah, it, so um, yeah, Rob and I, we had met online. We had worked on this site for years. Uh, he was the editor-in-chief for a couple of years too. Um, 
and yeah, so, uh, you know, I spent a week with him and we, uh, you know, I tallied up a pretty big bill and, uh, and a lot in UK, they use a lot, a lot of their like touch cards on their debit card. So at the end of the week, when we said, okay, let's settle up, what, what do I owe you? And I'm going to owe you this balance in pounds, right? He's like, all right, um, you owed me, you know, this much in pounds, but you know, I'll take it in Bitcoin. I'm like, that's perfect. Like, you know, now we have this, uh, monetary, uh, good that we could t- would settle in. That's pretty much good in both our jurisdictions. Did you have any at this point? Yeah. 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 At this point I was, uh, pretty, pretty locked in. Um, <laughs> and, and you're pretty locked in now. So it's well, hard. uh, not as much. I mean, I did go boating in Zagenthos, uh, I lost a couple of cold cards off the back of the bus. I mean, uh, off the back of the boat. But well, we tell happens. you, freaks, don't go boating with your cold cards. It's dangerous. We've known too many to have lost them. I'm sorry. Thank you for your service to uh, to deflation. <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> well, let's talk about Zeus, dude. So, what is Zeus? Why did you decide to build it? Was it a problem you were solving for yourself? Was it? Uh, a problem you solved that the market had that needed to be solved or you just fuck it around and it turned into something? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a number, number of things. Um, so I had started um, my lightning journey. I, I did a couple of transactions with Eclair on mobile at first and went and bought some stuff from Blockstream. And then as I dove a little deeper into it, I started using Zap. And uh, yeah, Zap is incredible. Zap really sort of paved the way for Zeus in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I started contributing to Zap and I put in some error utils and, uh, you know, I started getting really excited about like all the possibilities of, you know, how the user can interact with lightning. And, um, from there I went and I made my own node with a Raspberry Pi. I followed, uh, the Raspi Bolt guide first before doing Raspi Blitz and, you know, I had this great node. I could use it from home, you know, on my laptop. But it sort of defeated the purpose of Lightning. Like, you know, you have instant transactions, low fees. It's perfect for making transactions out in the wild. So I sort of evaluated um, the other apps that were out there, and I sort of saw that they didn't really suit my needs. Uh, and then I went and I talked with uh, Jack briefly on the Zap Slack, and uh, I ran the idea past him and um he was sort of more leaning towards having a native app written completely in java as far as android goes and i was sort of um leaning toward using this new solution called react native uh so a little background about myself um i've been working in cybersecurity the past five and a half years or so i work at this firm called ironet and um we do like cybersecurity for big firms, everything from like energy companies to hedge funds, banks, uh, really, you, you name it. And I've been working on, as an engineer there, I've been working on the product. Last year's been systems programming, but before that it was like four and a half years of uh, front-end engineering. And uh, yeah, I've really come to like this front-end framework called React from uh, Facebook. And I had heard about this framework that they had for developing apps on mobile. and. Uh, yeah, I just thought this this would be a great I, you know, um, idea for getting my hands wet with it and uh, get, getting my hands dirty with it and uh, you know trying it out, seeing what it was all about, and trying to transform some of my web design and web development skills over to a mobile platform. 
And uh, yeah, I just, I just started uh, trying to connect to my node, doing basic stuff, learning the LND API. And I slowly built it up until I had a fully functioning <coughs> app that, you know, had QR scanners, you connect to your node, uh, you can go and make transactions on-chain and off-chain through LN, uh, you can manage channels, you could open private channels, and uh, if you're on Android, you can connect to the whole thing over Tor, which, um, you know, is a, is a great feature, I, I think, as far as, you know, privacy and security goes. What were some of, like, the biggest things you learned while building it, or, like, the biggest hurdles, things that assumptions you had before you went in that that were sort of uh, confronted as you were building stuff like that. I learned a whole bunch about uh npm dependencies for javascript pro uh, products and um how many of them actually have proprietary code in them so uh, part of the challenge I set off for myself to do with Zeus was to support uh, this lesser known app store uh, it's called fdroid and it's only for android uh, but they do a couple of very interesting things. They do these, uh, you know, they have a format for reproducible builds, uh, which means everything that gets submitted to the store must be able to, you know, be compiled and recreated in this specific format. Um, and then rule number two is that there can't be any proprietary code. So, um, you know, part of the challenge was working with the QR scanner and making sure the camera aspect of the app worked correctly because the leading React Native uh, library had all these proprietary dependencies from Google. So we've had to be sort of crafty to work around it and use a lesser known one. So uh, yeah, that, that's been a huge challenge. It's also been a, a challenge in um, sort of setting up this open source uh, community where people are contributing back and submitting PRs and submitting issues. This is really my first big open source project. So I knew there would be a lot big learning curve there, but now we've got like so many people hanging out in our telegram group, giving us feedback, coming up with ideas, saying they want to tackle X, Y, or Z next, creating forks. And it's, it's just awesome. What was the process of people flooding into the project? Like, was it one dude at first? Just yeah, it's just uh, very very slow and stagnant at first. But you know, with each day that passes, especially when you're actively working on stuff too, and you know, people are like, "Oh, some stuff's going on. Let's see what's going on with this new release or whatever." It, it's it gets sort of over overwhelming at times. I think it's gonna get a little more overwhelming. So I'm I'm trying to. Uh, you know, just get more contributors on board and see who's interested and see if anyone's going to step up and take up some new roles to add some new features to this thing. But, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to get more people to look at the code, more people to just try it out and see what we're offering and see what we could build on top of this. I think it has a lot of potential. So what are, like, what are the things that worry you most about the app right now? What, like, features do you want to add? Um, so, first of all, I want to make this the best app for uh, power users, starting, you know, at first at least. Um, you know, Zeus, there's no built-in Neutrino client. You're not running L&D on your phone. You're connecting remotely. So this is for people who are serious about having, um, you know, an LND node running 24-7 who really want to be part of the ecosystem, dealing with a lot of channels and managing them. 
Uh, so some things I want to do, I want to have a display of you know, what your fees are collected for routing. I want to expand support for other implementations of Lightning other than LND. Looks like the first one we're going to do is C-Lightning REST, which Salby from Ride the Lightning has put together. Uh, it looks very promising. I'm going to be implementing that in the coming weeks. And then from that, I just want better channel management tools, like maybe get some uh, interaction with Lightning Loop so that you're able to balance your channels or uh, sends from Lightning to on-chain and vice versa. And just, uh, yeah, the, just work from there. The name is fucking dope. Like, you know, this industry we have, you know, they just, they always take, take Bitcoin terms, blockchain, the Lightning app, Sats app. But Zeus, fucking clutch. You got the Lightning reference there. You got the Greek reference. It's catchy name. Capture it all in one. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, it just seemed like a no-brainer to me. Uh, you know, sorry if I stepped on Zap's toes with the Z and a single... Uh, I, don't, I don't think Zap cares that much. Zap's another good name. I like that name, too. Yeah. There's so one. many good Lightning-related names you can choose. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on like Lightning right now as a as a network? It's something we were talking about on RHR. Like obviously, the big bug, the big recent bug that could have trained everybody's channels. Uh, definitely not a good look. Uh, channel management is something I consider myself more technical than your average user, but not. Uh, it could potentially become a power user. It would take me a lot of work, and I'd rather not do that work. So like channel management and shit like that for me is is arduous. I do it, but it's like ah oh, fuck, I gotta do some channel management now. Like, do you see that? improving like do you think lightning has a chance to be uh the success successful network that we that we think it can become um do you think it has any it absolutely has that potential to become the network we hope it can be but it could also easily fail in a lot of ways i i think uh there are a lot of promising things that are happening right now like we're getting a lot of alternate very um implementations we're getting all these different versions of apps that all you know sort of bring something different to the table, you know, and say something like bottle pay is very different from Zeus, which is very different from uh, Lightning Labs internal app. And uh, it's cool to see things being taken from different perspectives and from different lenses. But, you know, we're all still so early. I I think that um, that exploit that we saw recently with L&D. I think Sea Lightning had some issues too. Where All three of them. Yeah, I think that's testament to, you know, how early we are, but, you know, it's certainly not the last of it. We're, we're going to have a couple <laughs> more nasty things like that, but at least you could say that we have incredible coordination across all these teams, that they were able to handle it so well, um, you know, stagger the information so it didn't get exploited too badly, and got patched right up yeah so you think that was a good handling of that uh, oh i think they handled it phenomenally to be honest and um yeah these things are going to happen we need to stay really humble about this thing like obviously in the last year the development's been incredible and it has so much promise but there's still going to be a lot of uh a lot of hurdles we're going to see more bugs like this but you know we also have these issues with liquidity incoming and outgoing that's pretty huge too and you know, for someone using Zeus who has their own nodes set up, it might not be so big of an issue because they're doing CLI stuff. They're sort of going through the documentation, sort of learning how it all works to really make it all plug in together. But 
I think we're going to have some problems, or there are some problems rather, uh, dealing with more casual users and trying to uh, convey to them what these channels mean, what the limits of um, you know having different amounts of liquidity are. That's why I'm like sort of um, you know very impressed with Breeze's approach, where they give you some incoming liquidity to help alleviate that process. I, I think some you're going to see more people making. Uh, you know, some investments like that, seeding. Uh, it's not really scalable, right? It's not scalable. That's the real kicker. It's like a nice little stopgap. Bootstrap. Yeah, stopgap bootstrap. Um, I mean, and then you look at someone like, see, this is why I hate the name of their wallet. Like Lightning Labs's wallet, in-house wallet or whatever. Um, the Lightning wallet. They just abstract the channels away from you completely. They, You don't get any inbound liquidity, but... I guess Breeze, yeah, Breeze never shows you any channel management either. Both of them show you no channel management. With Breeze, it opens an outbound to their node. And with Lightning Labs' wallet, they they do the auto-select. What is it called? Uh, autopilot. Autopilot. Oh, yeah, yeah, autopilot. You're right. And it just picks some random big node and just opens the channel to it. But it never shows you. And it actually defaults to dollars. It doesn't even show you sats or anything. You can switch it to sats. You just click the button. But when you first load it up, it's dollars and there's no channels shown to you at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely a different approach from what we're trying to do in Zeus. What, uh, like how weird do you think Lightning can get? Like one of the weirdest use cases that maybe people aren't talking about that maybe you're thinking about, if any. I don't want to put on the spot there. Well, certainly... That's what I really, really like to see. Like making the apps and the wallets, it's really cool. But I want to see like the very interesting implementations of Lightning. And I know this is like you know it's been said before, but I really want to see like streaming services done with Lightning, where you're paying by you know how much of a show or a song or an album you listen to. I think something like that could potentially be very interesting. Um, you know, breaking up your bill by how much you actually consume. Instead of having, you know, these media conglomerates right now charging you a monthly fee and then banking that you're going to consume less than that. You know what I mean? Well, that's Costco's model, right? That's, they don't make any of their money on, uh, like, the retail sales. It's on the subscription to the, to the Costco card. Um, but no, I agree. And that's something we had just talked about in Rabbit Hole Recap, like... I want to see these publishers put up content paywalls. It's like the first little use case. It's a little Trojan horse. Like, ah, oh, this is interesting. Enables cool things. And then I think I saw Stop and Decrypt talking about like using it to create a, a VPN service or something like that in the future. Which gaming is going to be the, the dark horse. International gaming. Yeah, I think so too because, you know, that's how you get the youth. So people like, you know, Bitcoin Rabbi who are like, all right, we need to not sell the older generation of gold bugs or the current generation per se, but, you know, the people who are going to be around for, you know, this transformation. And maybe our site is not the best site uh, as an example for this, but maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, Maybe people uh, are more abreast to use lightning on our site than other services because we advertise that this year go try it out. But again, I just dropped the stat on our RHR 87% of the total transactions that have come through our TFTC.io node have been lightning network transactions. 
uh, 13% have been on-chain, but ni only 9% of the value we've received has been Lightning. So it's people experimenting with microtransactions, and it is, people are using Bitcoin via Lightning. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think part of it is curiosity and people... Um you know, just trying it out, trying the new tech out and getting more familiar with it. But I think there's also a good chunk of Bitcoiners who understand what uh, added privacy protections they get by using Avalanche. Oh, this is a good point because I got shit on uh, on Twitter yesterday for saying that Lightning does increase privacy. How does it do it? Does it do it? And is it, what would be the FUD for it not pro providing more privacy? Well, you know, you can monitor nodes to a certain extent, but I think things get really tricky on that front once you have a couple of private channels in the mix like if you have this node and you're suddenly blind to a couple of inputs you know if the transactions that are being routed out through those channels you know you're sort of blind to to be honest and uh, the to surveil that sort of stuff you need to go in much deeper and the cost of that is gets pretty absurd at least at scale. What would, the, what would it be like? What would, well, you have to, like, it, it requires active monitoring because nothing's on, on chain. So you have to, like, acquire, you have to have a large number of routing nodes or at least complicit routing nodes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you got to sort of, you know, eclipse the network in a way or... You know, like, stake Bitcoin. You have to take Bitcoin and lock it up in channels and have all of these high-performance routing nodes that are getting a ton of traffic. Yeah, either that or... So you have to support the system to attack the privacy, right? Yep. From the external internet, absolutely. Well, what is that? What if... So that's like another thing. A lot of people who don't understand private channels have been reporting that channel numbers have been going down, node counts have been going down, <laughs> capacity has been going down, but not taking into consideration private channels. Like, Do you see a future in which most channels are private? Um, that would make sense to me, right? Absolutely. I, I think we're going to hit a point at which the majority of channels are private. And I think that's going to come uh, sooner than later. I think software is mostly going to be, you know, determining that. Um, we're, we're really proud to offer up that option to make your channel uh, private on creation and Zeus. And, you know, that's something I definitely uh, prioritize what, getting in there. What does that mean for, like, measuring the activity on the network? How, how would you ever know? Just, like, endpoints? <laughs> it's, like, it's uh, you know, that, that's the would catch. Would everybody I, have to self-report? Like, Well, I mean, I guess there are ways to make, you know, estimates, but at, at the end of the day, they're just going to be that estimate. And unfortunately, we've gotten so used to having this completely transparent system on layer one with the blockchain. You know, people are just used to that. They, they were hoping that, oh, man, we can get some awesome metrics out of this L2 stuff too. And that's not the case at all, really. I mean, you could sort of get some idea of what's going on in the network by what's available to you to see. But you, you have like a big note and then you extrapolate. That's what like Ellen Biggs trying to do. He's like been posting stats and then he extrapolates it based across the network. So, so where, where do you guys stand with that guy? Do you think he's a bad actor? Well, or? in the beginning we did. We think he's a good guy. <laughs> he's, a, he's just a Bitcoiner. He just got in early. He's got um, all these coins. He wants to test out. He the did new an thing. interview. It was an interesting interview. He like with who? I what, like was it? It was a written interview. Was it? It might have been with Bitcoin Magazine. Cool. And um, he said he, you know, he he like runs the IT for this like large company, and they just had like all these extra servers, and he's a Bitcoiner, and he just ripping. That's it. why they're all in like the same. Server farms. Yeah, like they're all in the same Bethesda area. Bethesda and Virginia, right? Yeah. Uh -uh. Um, 
and, and the other, so all the consumer wallets are all making the move to, the model is you, op- you, you run your light node, you're like, you're not a, you're not a routing node, you run, you run your lightning wallet, it's a light node, you open one or two big private channels to a large node, and then you like loop out or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have inbound liquidity. So like they're all defaulting to private channels. With routing nodes, you can route someone's payment through a private channel. So, but it could be used in ways where like two big routing nodes would have that, a big private channel with each other. And that'd other, be like right? a tour relay node where it has to like, where the traffic has to go through that node. Yeah. I'm correct in that, right? You can route through a private channel. I think you can actually. Like if you're sending a payment, I can't be a hop in between because you don't know my private channel exists. You don't know, but the network might, right? How would the network know? It's a private channel. That's the whole point. Uh, yeah, I got to defer on this. We, we should really. I'm like 98 percent well, sure. Let's let's pivot to this. Like what I'm worried about is like there a way like if we move most of the shit to private channels that the that, that's like, what I'm be, saying. I don't think you can. Could it be gained? Could it be could it be bastardized way like could you have like rehypothetic rehypothet that word that big rehypothecation word <laughs> um, um no i mean yeah to, to be honest if you're really going to be d- doing damage on this network you really need to stake a lot of bitcoin to begin with which is you know sort of the beauty of it yeah, you can never make bitcoin out of thin air anyway yeah exactly because it's locked it's locked bitcoin yeah but would you be able to like spoof valid and in- valid invoices on on a private channel. I don't know. I'm just like. Well, with I'm the last like, exploit we just saw, you could have. That's spooked exactly some what Bitcoin. it was. Yeah. yeah. It would have been the perfect. Uh, but that only hurts for... people on Lightning. It doesn't hurt anyone on the main chain, is what I'm trying to say. No, of course. And that's part of the beauty of the design. Like, you can hedge appropriately, you know? Like, I mean, you guys are a little crazy with your note. Or the thief or is. The thief. the thief is a little. Yeah, uh, take it easy out there, thief. I think it's one of the Greek Bitcoiners. <laughs> It might be. Those guys are uh, nefarious, man. Listen, they're already scoping out a location for the Citadel. There you go. <laughs> well, let's talk about this. Not a big Citadel fan here, but I... I, I Ridiculous. Will, I, will, uh, I will appease the, the talk of Greek Citadels. Where, where, <laughs> where is it going to be? Oh, uh, well, we'll take that one off off the air. Okay. We're going to keep their location secret for now. That's good. That was bad OPSEC. That was a test. That was a test. That was a test. <laughs> you can't tell where your planned Citadel is. You have to prepare. Yeah. Yeah. We can't have like a bidding war with, you know. Oh, they're Bitcoiners. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, fuck, man. So like, do you think we win? Like, let's just get heady here. Like, do you think Bitcoin is successful? Like, are, are you in this for freedom? Do you think the world needs Bitcoin right now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, do we win? Uh, nothing's written in stone, Marty. Like, we could fuck this thing up so many different ways, but each day that we have developers looking at the code and building some solutions on top of it, uh, you know, whether it be through new uh, signature schemes or doing stuff on L2, it becomes a little, just a little bit harder for that to be fucked up. But we still have a long way to go as far as, uh, you know, the tools and the software Bitcoiners are using, as well as, um, you know, education and, you know, word of mouth and adoption, really. Well, let's focus on education there. Like, you obviously have a drive to educate people with these workshops, the two of you across from me right now. Do you think those are... 
like high leverage activities, meeting people in person and walking them through this stuff? Is what is the best way to educate? I think there's just incredible, um, incredible value just being able to network with these people for us to just build out our own personal sort of local uh, communities. I mean, education is crucial and it needs to be, um, you know, part of this journey and getting Bitcoin to where we want it. But, you know, doing these workshops one off at a time, it doesn't really scale really to the millions of people we need to really. But if you, uh, you know, alongside your workshops, uh, put out all these other materials, like we have, you know, if you put out video, written content, guides, I think that in conjunction with workshops can go a long way, I think. Yeah, we're like Johnny Appleseed's planting, planting seeds all over, all over the minds of potential pre- Bitcoiners, uh, pre-coiners now, potential Bitcoiners in the future. And that's... The local network is is very important. That's actually something that Justin Moon mentioned last night. The fact that like he was down in Austin and just started a meetup because he wanted to meet Bitcoiners and like-minded people, and like he's developed a great network just through that. But I've said this many times on this podcast: we are completely spoiled in this city with the amount of talented people working on Bitcoin and thinking about Bitcoin and and working on people Bitcoin. You being one of them. That's like how we met through the New York scene. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're incredibly spoiled with, I, I think the New York scene might be the best in the world for, I mean, despite having awful things in New York State, like the bit license, fuck you, Ben Lasky. Um, Don't speak that way about a Ripple board member. Hey, 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 Ben's just part of the revolving door, all right? You can't yeah. fault him, all right? Yeah, everyone's self-interested at the end of the day, I guess. How much did that piss you off? Let's let's expand on this. Go go deeper into Ben Lasky. You seem like you, this person in particular perturbs you. Um, yeah. Let's just say, I you know actively tried to see what the cost of you know spinning uh, Bitcoin related service up in New York, and it was just a little. Uh, it's really steep. It's, it's it's crazy. You got to like drop at least hundred grand. Right? It's so fucked up. The bill license is so fucked up. And then he joined the Ripple board afterwards, motherfucker. It says he's protecting consumers with the bit license. Yeah, I think like the five hundred thousand uh, dollar mark is like really conservative because that's just the fees for processing everything. But like, honestly, you got you got to have the capital to back it up in case you lose funds. You got to have uh, you know all these legal fees you're going to be paying. It's going to be upwards of two million dollars. You know, tell me what kid in their bedroom is going to be able to scrap together $2 million to start up a Bitcoin startup in New York State. It's not going to happen. And then you can't compete with the guys who like, like, let's say you're running, you're like, you're trying to create like the best online arcade that there is and you accept Bitcoin. Like you can't compete with someone launching it somewhere else because you have to KYC people for like $5 transactions. We actually, you have all this regulatory burden on top. We had to squash a game that DJ wanted to build, a stacking sats game. And I was like, no, I'm not sending anybody money or like creating any quasi gambling thing on our website while we're a New York State company. Yeah, yeah. I mean, around the bit license, I almost started something like that. And then the bit license passed. And I was like, now nah, I'm just going to stick with my fiat job for a while. Yeah, I know that feeling. But yeah, the New York Bitcoin community is is rivaled maybe only by a few communities in the world. And uh, props to uh, the guys at BitDevs and Pierre for really nurturing that. And now we're losing Pierre to Austin. So we all Austin's. we all in New York need to step up our game and, and keep nurturing it. Austin, Absolutely. Might, Austin might take the number one spot once he moves down there. 
powerful uh, Austin Bitcoin community. Well, I'll never admit it. <laughs> I know the, the noted Megazord is forming, you know, put those guys in the same city, it's going to get dangerous. So, uh, yeah. They'll, they'll have a Citadel in a few years' time. <laughs> That's the key. We're just all building out our Citadel networks. Now, I'm, so I'm really looking airships. forward to Bitstein's, uh, you know, little ranch where he's going to have his bluegrass band or, or his big brass band playing to his cattle. It's going to be incredible. I'm really looking forward to what those two guys do. We need to bring back grazing cattle freaks. It is an actionable thing we can do to, uh, to put more oxygen mm-hmm. in the atmosphere. You know, cows, they graze. They eat grass, they, they help uh, prevent monoculture, then they move on, and then they do that somewhere else, and more grass comes, and at the uh, end of a couple grazing periods, you have some more oxygen in the world. No factory farming. That was my uh, grazing cattle tangent there. <laughs> I'm totally with you, Marty. All right. I had one drink of this moonshine. It's hit me already. It'll do it to you, especially if you're not used to it. I was like drinking this stuff pretty much every day at lunch when we were on the island of Zagintos. And then, oh man, I got into a real good groove just walking out from the restaurant onto the beach and what's the passing out. What's the Greek day like? Oh man, <laughs> well let me tell you, yeah, you'll wake up at 10, you know, get to work 1130, <laughs> uh, run the shop till like 2 p.m., then you have a... You know, little afternoon siesta, sort of Spanish style, till like three thirty, four. <laughs> uh, well, it, you know, it depends. Um, you know, everyone's got their own real thing going on, but I fucking love that lifestyle. When I was, I did like fifteen days in Spain a couple of years ago. I didn't want to leave by the end, but I also thought I was having a heart attack because I was eating so many fatty meats and cheese and bread and smoking a shit ton of cigarettes. Uncle Marty gets a uh, very cigarette trigger happy when he goes to Europe. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy over there. It's like, what, less than four euro a pack? Yeah, thank God I'm not smoking anymore. Uh, I would really have gone through a couple uh, packs in Greece for sure. You know, a European dart never killed anybody. You know, it's probably killed a couple million, but we'll just gloss over that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so what else do you want to talk about? Like, what what's exciting you outside of Lightning right now? Are you worried about... Uh, anything uh, at the protocol level of Bitcoin? Are you excited for the prospect of BIP Taproot or Schnorr and all that shit? Yeah, Taproot and Schnorr, they just all have so much promise. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, just eager to see that stuff get fleshed out in the next couple of years. Uh, but, you know, alas, we got to stay patient. You know, th- these are things that you don't want to add in haphazardly. There are steps to it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's so much going on on the protocol level. I mean, as we go on, it feels like, you know, it's, things are sort of stagnate, things sort of like uh, calcify, like, but there's still like amazing innovations coming on. Like, That's what we were saying. Like we had the, the four cores to fight about and we had the ICOs to shit on and it feels like we're in this like weird lull where like nobody has anything to fight about and we're like, what the hell's going on? We're just on? going at each other cause we were just bored. Yeah, it's like, come on, guys. At the end of the day, we're all working towards the same thing, you know? Like, There'll be another real thing to talk about soon enough. We just got to tread water until then. What do you think it is? Do you know what it is? No, I'm just saying. It's just anybody's guess. I don't know what it is. What I'm like talking to uh, Axa Bilderberg, and they let, they let me know ahead of time. I don't know. You just gave me, <laughs> you just gave me a weird look. Like, I know some shit's about to go down. Um, I mean, I, I think 
Yeah, I mean, it, it should be interesting. I'm, I'm not sure. It, it always catches you off guard, I think. I mean, I guess the block size didn't... That, like, took a while and boiled over. and That was, like, kind of known. Yeah, and some child porn but, fud this But the week. ICO shit came out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, that was- okay, so based on, like... Did it come out of nowhere? I think so. But did you think, like, you thought Ethereum was going to hit 1,500 and, like... Neo is gonna go wherever Neo went, and XRP was gonna hit like three. And I didn't think that was gonna happen. like that. That CNBC was gonna be like talking about like Digibyte and shit. I don't know. You guys are uh, excited for Chainlink to a thousand dollars? Yeah. What exactly. the, what the fuck was Chainlink? Was that like a four chain? It just launched, right? Uh, it's no. I think it was around since it, last year. Is it and, like a meme blockchain or something like that? Uh, no, it's not a meme. <laughs> blockchain uh, they're trying to solve the oracle problem and it's a erc 667 token variation on erc 20 um i'm not going to say anything mean about Chainlink. i'm going to say that it's very very difficult to solve the oracle problem that all these people are trying to solve because at the end of the road no matter how brilliant your software setup is or how brilliant you think the in- incentives are you're going to have to trust someone at the end of the day because this isn't, you know, data derived from the blockchain or values within that system. This is from, it's like external. Is it a solvable problem? I don't think it's a solvable problem. No, no, I don't think it's solvable. I mean, best of luck to them. And this is what Augur tried to solve. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, Just it, for the freaks out there. Yeah, it's very yeah, similar to Augur. Augur in particular, their markets got way fucked up immediately. Like you had people gaming yeah. their markets pretty, pretty heavily in the beginning, right? Yeah. Um, and this is like the same issue that MakerDAO has, right? Like the Oracle, the Oracle problem is that if your smart contract or whatever relies on an outside data source that can't be found on the chain, then you need someone to report that data. Yeah. So a good, right? ex- a good example is sports. Like if you have somebody betting on sports and you need the final score of the game, uh, to execute the bet, uh, you have an Oracle who has, you have ESPN, uh, CN or not CNN, um, who else keeps scores? Fox Sports, whoever. They're Yahoo. Oracle. Yahoo. They're oracles, and they put up the final final score. So you need something like that to uh, put the final score into these markets to. Uh, right. Get, yeah. So the issue is finding one that's like actually trust minimized, where you don't have like a third party that you have well, to trust. The biggest problem, like these, so these systems can uh, these systems that claim to be solving the oracle problem. That's my biggest worry about these systems is that they can grow to such an extent and they're successful for uh, an extended period of time because the uh, the incentive to attack them is not there yet but once you get a bunch of money onto these systems and uh, it is worthwhile to to attack these these oracles um, that's when you'll see them finally getting attacked right and it'll be too late at that point yeah absolutely and you know with these oracles you don't know when they could potentially go rogue, you know, they, they could do a sort of exit scam like thing, like a bad uh, dark net seller where they're like, okay, yeah, we, we've been giving you the score of the Knicks game or whatever the hell, uh, you know, honestly and accurately for the last three years. But, you know, maybe we change the results on a day. We know the results going to be fixed a certain way and we run away with a buttload of money. Yeah. Or just even it doesn't even have to be malicious. Like imagine if like the Maker DAO oracles just reported the ETH price incorrectly, for 
for like a sustained period of time, like by accident, like there could just be a, just have margin calls for no reason. Yeah. We could just, it could just be, cause you're still the, the key, the key with, with re- reducing third party risk, isn't just the third party being malicious, right? It's also the third party being negligent, not even. Yeah, totally. That's always a risk. I, so I have a good question for you. If Shoot. you were going to, if you were a major world government and you were trying to kill Bitcoin, how would you do it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Mr. so security researcher, right? <laughs> Seems like a good fit. Um, yeah. If you, well, let's really uh, pop on the tinfoil hats for this one, boys. What do you think? Uh, and my tinfoil hat is on. If you're a government official, please turn off the podcast now. Thank you. I know you're all listening. I know you're all listening. Trump, turn it off. Yeah, I know Barron's working with the computers. Barron's a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the biggest. Um, way for well the the thing is you know there'd be so much coordination involved but let me keep it simple my biggest concern right now is the amount of um, backdoors and commercial chips right now from Intel uh, management engine to you know um, heck uh, what's it called the rock 64 chips have and all like a version of it and the Raspies and AMD chips they all can be backdoored um, you know, with these sort of systems, uh, like management engine, is the, pretty much the idea behind it is you have like a fleet of Intel computers and you want to roll out a uh, configuration change to it or a software update to the whole fleet at once. So, uh, yeah, the chip manufacturers have built in this, um, you know, essentially a back door in which you can gain complete access of the computers. So, um, you know, what percent of... Bitcoin nodes are running on open hardware, something like a complete open alternative, like open power that um, Luke Dasher has uh, been plugging a bit. Um, you know, not many. I think it's it's definitely less than one percent. It's like fifty people, right? Yeah, it's like fifty people. <laughs> I was actually uh, I met Andrew DeSantis a couple years ago, and it was before Lightning was launched, and we were talking about it, and his biggest fear was that. So, like, we all go to Lightning, and every uh, hardware device and chip is backdoorable, and you have the situation where a lot of the economic activity moves to Lightning, and then, again, going back to incentives to attack a network, that creates the incentive, too, to finally backdoor these systems. Yeah, but, you know, while this is a huge concern of mine, you know, the actual difficulties yeah, what, in executing something exactly. like that would be ridiculous. What are, the, what are the logistics that would that have to happen to to attack these systems in this way you know like well, first of all at, at what scale are we doing about are we attack, attacking them all at once or are we attacking you know the tens of thousands of bitcoin nodes all at once is there i don't know is that possible um we're trying to kill bitcoin here yeah so if you just take down a couple nodes you're not killing bitcoin yeah i mean from a technical perspective it is and is taking down all the nodes killing Bitcoin anyway? Because cold storage would still be fine. Yeah, so... you know, Everyone would still have a copy of the most recent blockchain, right? That's true. You can't, you can't kill all of them. You would have to kill every single one. Right. So, you know, really from a more practical standpoint, an attack you want to do would probably be ideological. It would probably be something in the form of um, BCH or BSV... And then uh, that combined with, you know, the sort of the FUD we saw the last few days where, you know, child pornographers are using Bitcoin 
and then driving that home despite you know these arrests happening mostly a year ago did they happen a year ago they just announced it yep and one fucked up. again a fact that we should reiterate we said it on rabbit hole recap tonight you said there was three hundred thousand dollars over three years yeah and there's like two billion in daily transactions a day Sheesh. for just bitcoin in general and then the site only had 300k over three years worth of bitcoin so like let's not paint all bitcoiners yeah, i mean it's just a stupid argument because i think most people can see past the guys like you think bitcoin's the preferred currency of child pornographers but i think they they this is going to get it's going to be reoccurring like yeah i mean we're going to have terrorist attacks that are financed by bitcoin and stuff and or they don't even have to be financed by bitcoin they just have to say they're financed by didn't bitcoin. that just like, happen in germany yeah are they using bitcoin in 3d printed guns like really, they hit- really yeah the synagogue shooter was it did he use bitcoin he got he got a donation from someone in bitcoin I don't know if he used. They it couldn't to use Litecoin or something. <laughs> I know, right? Like, come on, dude. Well, it's crazy. The future is going to get weird. And Matt, I know we're here interviewing Evan, but I want to bring up the tweet that you tweeted out the other day about the future will be built on open software and hardware, right? Unprintable hardware. Un- unprintable. No, printable hardware and unprintable money. Yes. Um, like the three D printing stuff. It's scary, but it's here. It's not going away. Like. Yeah, unfortunately, um, um, is the, it, the toothpaste is out of the tube on that one. What do you see proliferating from that? Are you, are you into 3D printing and all? Does that fascinate you, the hardware aspect of it? or? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I haven't really dove into it too deeply. Um, I certainly want a 3D printer. I feel like it's becoming more, infeasible, more feasible every year as the cost of getting one of these good ones really comes out. Um, yeah, what's a good printer going for right now? It used now? to obsolete so quickly. I was like, I'm very proud of my low time preference in this particular, in that particular industry, because I came so close over the last like four years to buying one over and over again. And just every time I was like, I'm going to wait till next year. Yeah, you're going to be the dude buying a $50,000 big screen TV. Dude, next bull run, <laughs> my 3D printer is going to be fucking legit. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to come over and test that out. I got to. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like with ASICs, you know, like a lot of innovation at first sort yeah. of tam- tampers off. Um, yeah, I don't know. With the 3D printing stuff, is the gun stuff is really scary. I'd really like to see someone focus on the other end of it. Uh, maybe do some, you know, 3D printed uh, vests or defense tools. You know, I mean, if all guns this, are defense tools, that's true too. But you know, I would like to see someone do like focus on Kevlar or you know other sort of devices in that you know realm, like maybe. Uh, you know, 3D printed drones or tools We're like that. Have that, especially if you include like CNC, like metal cutting. Yeah. Programmic, programmic metal cutting. Yeah, that's a whole C- other uh, beast, really. The CNC stuff versus like well, that. We kind of just grouped that into 3D printing now. Yeah, I know, I know. People sort of yeah. lump it together. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's fucking fascinating. I want a 3D printer. I just want to print like regular household shit. I just think it'd be fun. Um. You could be print TFTC swag. We can. We do need more swag, but it's like he has more swag than us. His humble little app. Yeah. How you oh, out, my stickers? Yeah. How you out swagging us, bro? The stickers are dope. Yeah, I got a die cut of the logo. Oh man, the logo is great. I paid five dollars for it on Fiverr. <laughs> you didn't pay with Bitcoin. No, unfortunately it's not. Questionable. Nah, my. Uh, are you really in this to win it, dude? Listen, I mean, I, I guess my guy in Thailand. Uh, there's a new Just Bitcoin site. 
I was talking to someone about it. That was uh, like Fiverr. It's like Fiverr, but with Bitcoin, with Lightning specifically. Um, I'm so you, it up. you work for a, a, a security firm. What are like the weirdest attacks or like the the attacks that you're uh, protecting your clients against from? What are the most common? Are you allowed to talk about it or? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about it a little bit. Um, so, um, do they vary a lot, or are you guys? Securing one specific. Oh, there's t- total variance, and you know our our system is designed to catch you know variation of uh, attacks. So I would say like the most common thing you're going to see is like a spear phishing. You know the easiest way, least technical, least cost, is to just send fake emails to the organization and see what you could uh, whittle up from there. Absolutely, you know, you don't have to spend money on a mil- uh, on a on a zero day. That's going to cost you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and uh, you're just trying to exploit fallible humans. So you're saying you can buy zero days on the black market? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's common. I didn't know that. I thought it was just people found them and exploited. Well, them. I mean, you're not going to go on like tour and like go to zero day exploits dot what blah 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 dot onion. <coughs> but- yeah, there's there's totally security researchers out there that have zero days for all sorts of platforms and are willing to sell them to the highest bidding, you know, private security company or government or just whoever's willing to pay the most. What's that? What's what? that? What's that underground like? Like, it's like kind of in the open. It's like one of the coolest things about it is that you can kind of extrapolate how secure a platform is like how much people are willing to pay for a zero day right the, would you say that the more the less secure the the more expensive the more secure absolutely okay because you can't get in if there's like a bunch of ways to get into a platform then you're not going to pay top dollar for it right makes sense. yeah so I, I guess the most popular point around this lately was um android versus ios as far as the you know cost of zero days has gone and i feel like uh it flipped, right? It flipped from iOS being the most expensive to Android being the most expensive. For the first time ever. And the reasoning really? yeah. behind a lot of that is that Android has so many different variations on their devices. All the manufacturers have different nuances in their software and their hardware to have, like, there's no real one-size-fits-all solution. Your, your hacker is going to be targeted to, like, a certain kind of phone. Whereas with iOS and iPhone, it might be possible because they're all using the same exact version of the software, more or less, to, uh, you know, buy one exploit and hit an iPad, iPhone from all these different generations all at once. Yeah, the fappening. You just hit them all at once. Oh, Uh, man. Well, the fappening was spear phishing, right? Uh, Yes, I think so. Um, Yeah, don't hold me to that 100%, but I think it was spear phishing, yeah. And, ah, oh, fuck, I had a question, what was I going to say? Um, that, that guy's in jail of how many years have you got? Uh, I don't know. I think it's like 15 years. Yeah. He did something, re- how did he get caught again? Uh, Wasn't he taunting them or something? Like no, I feel like he was trying to blackmail and do a uh, ransom action like I that. I remember what I was going to ask. Is this an argument for, like, multiple implementations? Like, can, you, can this equate to, like, Bitcoin development and stuff like that? Oh, certainly. I mean, there's so many... Benefits you get by multiple implementations. I mean, yeah, I mean, perhaps you'd have a better product if uh, you just had one implementation and all the devs were working on that, but then you, it's just not practical. People with different ideas are going to implement things in different ways. And 
you know, I, I really think it's generally a net benefit to have these different options. You know, like let's say there's an exploit for one of the implementations and all those nodes get knocked down. Well, at least you have seven other implementations and all of those nodes stay up and maintain the network. And yeah, I understand the arguments against it. Like, Let's go through them. What are they? Uh, so you have more implementations. You have less eyes uh, in the same place. So your eyes are more decentralized looking at different stuff. Um, you know, that, that means the code is going to be a little less thorough, more chance for exploits, um, less cohesion. You're going to have uh, a lot of uh, errors where the implementations are incompatible because, uh, you know, stuff happens like that. But uh, generally speaking, I largely think that, um, you know, diversity is good in this space and um, the benefits outweigh the cons. To you would say it's different for layer one and layer two. Right, because layer one, the the main issue with multiple implementations is is consensus issues, right? And we don't yeah. have that issue with with Lightning as much. Yeah, it's 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 a different animal altogether, I would say. Yeah, and you know, there's different tolerances for it at uh you know different light levels on the stack for sure. It's like if uh, if we had. It basically 50-50 between two implementations on layer one and they had a consensus split like which is the true side that's an interesting point no that's a good thing like is there uh i'm gonna use this term correct i don't think so so i'm not gonna use it is there like a distribution in which like core has like 70 percent lib bitcoin has 10 percent and not so whatever down from there make up the rest is that sufficient yeah but then what is if Core goes one way and Libitcoin and Knots goes the other. That's so it point. goes 30 to 70. Whose fault was the consensus split? Yeah. No, that's a good point. But, and then like, this is what Eric Bosco said. Like you can't, and what you were alluding to earlier, people are going to have different ideas. They're going to do it. So how knowing, having that in mind that no matter what you may argue for, which would be in some, a lot of people would argue for a single implementation. People are, it's open source software and they're able to do it. It's a good question. Yeah, that's one of the funny things about dealing in this space and dealing with software and OSS, you know. Uh, you don't have a say in the matter, you know. Like, how many times was Bitcoin Core forked and turned to shit and Satoshi didn't have any say in the matter? So, you know, similarly, I mean, you know, obviously it's a much smaller project. Uh, you know, uh, the equivalent the equivalent of it is not quite the same but um you know I'm, I'm dealing with some people talking to me about forking zeus and what do you feel about that it's like listen man i really have no say in the matter if you want to do it you can do it and if i think it's good at the end of the day and i, I like it i'll promote it sure why not or if it's really good i'm gonna refactor it and push it upstream to yeah. zeus <laughs> and you can't upstream. you can't stop that either so what's well, that like what is a good amount of ego in this space right like how like, obviously, we all want to get ours, right? You want to fucking build a dope app that everybody fucking uses. We want to build a dope podcast, a newsletter that everybody listens to and reads. But at the end, again, it's a meritocracy. And I think about this often. Like, is there a point at which, like, uh, somebody's better than me? Do I just not drop out, but, like, acknowledge it? Yeah. I'm a little drunk off the moonshine right now. <laughs> uh, no, first of all, you know, we, we just got to stay humble. This is going to be a long journey. Um, it's going to take decades. Absolutely, right? 
But um, I'm already a decade in. My life, I've spent not a decade, but a good chunk of one. Decades, yeah. Long run, baby. Long run. We're all, all of us here are definitely in for it, and we know what we're getting ourselves into. But, you know, as far as saying, like, who's better than, you know, another, like, okay, per- personally, I think TFTC is the best podcast in the universe. Well, thank but, you, sir. You know, it's very, very honored and, uh, you know, privileged to be on here. But, you know, by what metrics, you know? In some other metric, you might not be so good. And yeah. a different podcast, you know, might also be good to listen to, too. It doesn't have to be a winner wins all thing. No, exactly. No, Except I, for in money. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> that's the thing that uh, Safe and I were talking about in the interview that aired today is value is subjective, right? Like people yeah, like different things in different it's all ways. all in the eyes of the observer. And that's actually what we're trying to do with Bitcoin, right? Is like give people... Uh, the ability to imbue their subjective value and what they want. And the best way to do that is to provide an apolitical neutral money that anybody can use to uh, put forward their values. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we all like the principles underlying Bitcoin at the end of the day, but if we just, you know, decreed by fiat, let's say, you know, Marty got declared president and we forced everyone to use Bitcoin. That wouldn't be so cool. Really. If we just, force people into it that people couldn't voluntarily associate with bitcoin that would be pretty lame in my eyes i think that's part of the beautiful thing about it like we don't choose who our family is we don't choose which country we're born in and you know prior to this thing we didn't choose what our primary form of uh, monetary exchange was but now we can you can opt in and it's all voluntary and it, it the second that Bitcoin isn't for you or the, your values change, you can walk away. That's it. Yeah. And people have walked away. <laughs> for now. You can walk away for now. Yeah, they'll be back. No, I'm just saying, like, in the future, what other option are you going to have? Well, that brings up a good discussion about, like, when we were Bitcoiners who were, like, to shit on shit coins, but, like, are we hypocritical for, for shitting on, like, who are we to... Uh, yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, you know, as much as I like to slam dunk on things, at the end of the day, like, you know, everyone, well, you know, there's obviously going to be nefarious actors, but generally speaking, people are trying to do the right thing and work towards what they think is right. So, you know, like it, when we go and we try to um, challenge the claims of altcoiners, we, we, we got to do so one respectfully and two you know with facts yeah logic has to prevail right yeah we can't be saying oh you're an asshole you're dumb shit whatever that only will get you so far but if you're able to um outmaneuver your opponent with logic right that's one thing i like seeing you hop into twitter that saw you hop into joe weisenthal's day Oh, Joe Weisenthal. Joe is awesome. I think Joe we said... We met him at the beefsteak. We met him at uh, Josh's beefsteak. Shout out to Josh. Love Josh. Beefsteak Josh. He's the man. Uh, you know, also a member of the Citadel. Helped us put together the whole workshop without him. Huge. He wouldn't have worked. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, Joe Weisenthal showed up. I think uh, Josh invited him. And we got to talk a, li- a little briefly. But um, man, it was great seeing him. Uh, he's always got great stuff on Twitter going. He's like... He's a great troll. He's unbelievable. (laughs) And yeah, he's like, he's just like, 
it's like a stream of salmon, this Twitter, and he's just got this huge net cast out, and I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I got caught in Joe's net again. <laughs> and I, it's not my first time at the rodeo, but like oh, he knows there. how to push the right buttons and the right knobs, and he's, he's just, a, just a brilliant guy all around. He's got odd lots, and he's awesome on Bloomberg. I have a lot of respect for Joe. I do as well. I've uh, been a big fan of Joe. His career trajectory, actually, he's somebody who started out writing a newsletter on markets and wound up like on Bloomberg, like talking about what he was writing about. It's very inspirational in that regard. But then, yeah, if you guys haven't checked out the episode with Joe, we recorded like way over a year at this point um, last summer. It's very good. He's uh, a lot. He triggers a lot of Bitcoiners. People get really pissed off at him. But I think once you meet him, you know that he's intentionally trying to troll. And I think like today, his thread brought up very good points. And we, I agree with what he said. Like, we need better privacy. No, his phrasing. He yeah, like well, intentionally he's, chose yes, his he's trying phrasing. to trigger everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's all by design. But you know, Joe's heart's in the right place. Um, but you know, he if if he doesn't use Bitcoin actively, he will be he, soon enough. Joe, I know you're listening. You will submit. You no, know, it it was funny that he did he did successfully call out like in the process he like triggered a lot of the more hardcore Bitcoiners. But, like, who he was targeting was, like, our Bitcoiners in suits, like, our suits division. And they, he was correct in that, and he, he basically got them to, like, paint it for him, is that they have to avoid all the controversial <laughs> shit about Bitcoin and paint it as this, like, really great, like, gold 2.0 settlement network, which it is, but just that, right? And not that, like, the dark money, private money type of thing. Um, and it's just like the dirty little secret of our industry. Like we all know it. We all know that these guys go up on CNBC and, um, ignore that aspect. And they say Bitcoin is like perfectly easy to trace or whatever. Um, but then like behind closed doors, they're like, it's important that you can use it privately. Otherwise it has no value. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we got a good rise out of one of the Winklevi twins cause they're running the Gemini. You see like tweets like a fucking preteen. <laughs> He was like doing you for you, like just Yo. the letter you. Yo, I'm working on getting him on the pod, all right? Let's hey, not... listen, let's give him the benefit Cameron. of the, the doubt. Better. There's limited characters yeah. on Twitter, you know. This wouldn't have happened on Facebook. Before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not only did he not only did he tweet like that with that grammar, he used the number four for four. Uh, it just like triggered me. But it also his comment triggered me too. His comment was like, if you've been to chain analysis, you know that like this is every, he's like he's like private Bitcoin transactions are a thing of the past. It has nothing to do with what Bitcoin gives value. Like he was completely off. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's not true at all. He wasn't one. There are some like our better suits that go out on CNBC and stuff. Mm-hmm. Matt's getting Matt's getting very passionate right they now. They know like picking up on the levels. They know they know uh, that they're like kind of peddling shit a little bit about Bitcoin being completely transparent, but. Cameron with that tweet, he doesn't know. He's just, he's lost the plot a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is it's, it's nuanced, right? It's uh, pseudonymous, right? Right. But it's all about how you interact with it and uh, how you manage your UTXOs at the end of the day, which determine whether your actions on it are really going to end up being anonymous at the end of the day. But that's really fucking difficult. Yeah, you can't convey that in a... So, like, have you ever had a UTXO? Sometimes I have a UTXO where I'm just like, I'm not really positive where this came from. Not sure how it got there or what, what it's for. Do I just... Are those sats dead to me? 
are they worth it to me? Do I try and reclaim this? Like you're yeah. trying to like level this in your head. And if you fuck up that leveling process, six years down the line, it could be used to link a bunch of things to you and you're fucked. Yeah, absolutely. You got to be mindful of how much it is, where you potentially got it from, when you got it, you know, how you potentially used it, like all, all these different factors. So, you know, part of it is, um, you know, labeling your UTXOs, which Wasabi does very well. You know? I like that they make it the default. Yeah, you have to. You have no choice. It's There's, part of the flow. Yeah, you can't have it. It's, it's, it's like not a, another wallet. It's just not a very uh, obvious process either. Or it's, very, it's not very obvious that you should be living in your UTXs. I think, I think I got Casa to do it. I think they're about to do it. Boss. But all, every wallet should have labeling. And I think I actually like Wasabi's that they force you. Like Samurai, for instance, has labeling. But you have to like go into the UTXO menu and label it after the fact. I... That flow makes a lot of sense to me. What is this receive address for? Type it in, press generate. You got it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty foolproof there, but I think that there's a lot of confusion still after the fact. Like, okay, I, I've mixed my, uh, you know, all my Bitcoin and they're all in these little bundles. They're split point one BTC each, right? But then what's the proper procedure for doing it afterwards? 10 million sets. 10 million sats. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the issue. And that's what Samurai tries to solve with their post-mix tools. Uh, like Cahoots. Yeah, and it's so whatnot. nuanced. There's so many. And it, at the end of the day, it takes so much active thought by the individual, right? By the user. That's the issue. Yeah, um, you, you don't really want to be worrying about this when you're making well, a transaction at the end of the day. It's like, do I have the money to make the transaction or not? Right? That's why, That's why like, a future with something like P2EP, like, entices me a lot but apparently there's some drawbacks like with the way you need to construct that transaction it's not very ux friendly but if you were to make every transaction a coin join basically where your the recipient has to create an output as well that you mix up that makes like a lot of sense we need them both to be online right yes that's the problem yeah that's what it is yeah it's a pretty big drawback yeah but just uh definitely a big drawback but uh structurally thinking of a way in which we can achieve private, like something I mean, like could, that what, with not having people not have to be online it would could be work, awesome. That could work really well with something like BGC Pay or something. Yeah. Right? Because you're paying a store, you're online, you're paying. Right. right? They're online because they're running a lightning node anyway and they have to serve you an invoice. Yeah. Um, but that makes that, it, that at the same point you could just pay them in lightning. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, do you think, yeah, so we'll, a lot of this activity be moved to, to Lightning. Will we have the uh, just settlement transactions on the protocol? One, one of the under-discussed things about Lightning, paying for something in Lightning, is even if you go through the whole process of not buying your coins through KYC, which is hard as it is, especially at scale, um, you go through like all the privacy hygiene and stuff. But one underappreciated thing that people don't realize is when you pay for things in Bitcoin, um, it could be tied to personal identifiable information. Mm -hmm. And whether that's a shipping address, whether that's an email address, whether that's an IP address, whether that's you know some kind of cookies in your browser or whatever, some tracking token. Mm -hmm. um, and then after you pay them, you get change. And that change in most wallets isn't labeled, as we were saying before. Mm -hmm. And then two years down the line, you forget what that UTXO is and that it's linked to your identity and you merge it with other things. With Lightning, there's no change. When you, when you make that transaction, Push even if that specific amount. transaction is tracked, 
because they have like watching nodes or whatever that there's no change there that's just sitting around just waiting to link you it's a very good point and uh no it is like are we do you think it's possible that we are so early on that these are problems that uh may not be problems like maybe socially like people eh, no you always have chain analysis but like do you think We'll have to worry about this stuff as much in the future. I guess that's the question I'm trying to get at. Will this get easier? We'll get more uh, intuitive. Will uh, there have to be less? Men- will there be less mental costs? Basically, I think that's an inevitability. I mean, I think first we're going to have, uh, you know, all these brilliant people are coming up with solutions to add privacy to the puzzle. But you know, we're also seeing the rate of innovation for these apps that the end user is, uh, you know interacting with it's just feels like a cambrian explosion of sorts as far as just think like a year ago think of like where we were two years ago think about we, using we really the, have incredible tools at our disposal think about trying yeah. to use the dime bag exactly a year ago <laughs> i didn't have i wasn't on lightning yet a year ago yeah i didn't know you a year ago i met you a little bit before that yeah, uh, a year and a half ago we missed we missed the anniversary Wasabi, yeah. Wasabi <laughs> had just launched, I think. Samurai wouldn't, Whirlpool wouldn't launch for another five months or four months. It's amazing. You know, I heard about Wasabi for the you, satellites the launched at this point yet. Oh, yeah, it was one of the, one of the one of the best Wasabi shows there is. <laughs> wasabi, yeah, wasabi. The satellite. I'm not sure how old that's been. Satellites less than a year, right? Yeah, it's gotta definitely be. the. The shitpost element of the satellite is very new. Right? <laughs> that was hilarious presenting the sat node at Peru College. And they were like, what's it used for? Like, mainly shitposting right now. <laughs> yeah, like, mainly mainly altcoiners paying in lightning to talk shit on lightning. It's so funny. I mean, it's great. I think It's the best advertisement. Going back to shilling wasabi, I mean, the biggest issue we have with Bitcoin privacy is that our main tool for it is coin join and lightning helps a lot because you can coin join and then open channels with it on like a tour node or something. And then maybe you won't have to coin join in the future again. But the issue with coin join is it costs us fees to do it. Minor fees, transaction fees and is liquidity, right? We need mm-hmm. more people to use it. So it's actually one of those elements of Bitcoin where, I mean, we have an incentive to shill it, but people need to shill it, right? Like we need, like, if you're a proper Bitcoiner, you should be mixing your coins. You should be providing liquidity to other Bitcoiners who need it, right? Like a, yeah, absolutely. It's like running a node almost. Yeah, for sure. Civic duty. Civic duty. And, um, never mind. We'll avoid that. <laughs> no, we should I appreciate you avoiding it. Okay. Well, I don't know what we're avoiding, but I think you probably had a good gut reaction. Yeah, it was a good gut reaction. But... <laughs> No, there's a lot of, like, that's the thing. Like, there's so many things to take into consideration. Here's what I'll say. There's so many things to take into consideration right now. I often wonder, like, or I should preface this with we should always trend uh, towards being hyper uh, adversarial and hyper skeptical. Always, yeah. But, um, like, it seems like it's working, right? Like, maybe, like, are we, like, too paranoid? Like, are the problems we see as huge problems right now going to be huge problems in the future? Almost nobody is using CoinJoin right now. I think that's part of our thinking with uh, 
running into the workshop and having a focus on, you know, cold card wasabi. It's just really to help us out first and foremost. Like, let's get the people who are coin joining, let's give them a bigger anonymity set. Let's, let's get as many people into this as we can. Well, so. it's pretty funny in the workshop, we Sybil attacked the testnet network. The <laughs> testnet wasabi server, just like the whole class all joined in and it was two people per. So if some other guy was in there, like we just knew everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So whereas the main net has like what up to a hundred. hundred. If it hits a hundred, it goes or every two hours. I mean, the the big thing with Wasabi was we got bull Bitcoin, which boosts liquidity a lot. Um, but it does appear like it's getting Sybil attacked right now, so it's questionable how much of. Um, how much anonymity it's providing? Well, no, yeah. I mean, also, like, how much of the Bitcoin going in is, like, actual... Individuals? Yeah, or or reverse or attacker, right? Yeah. Because um, they merge outputs after the fact. They can reduce well, the then you have, ability. Then you have stupid fucking users, like that dude who moved 12,000 Bitcoin, like, off Wobi into, into Wasabi. Yeah. And, like, remerged all his outputs after. Oh, my God. But that could have been an attack. But why would you do that on like from an exchange? Why wouldn't you? Like that just seemed like that just seemed like this fucking there. idiot. It just seemed like. Eh. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to attribute to malice what can easily be attributed to stupidity in most cases. But the end result is the same because it doesn't matter. Exactly. Even for him, if if he didn't merge, then it could have been a silent attack because he knew all of his own outputs. But by merging then anyone could use that data to reduce everyone else's anonymity set, right? That's the only difference. Like, if he didn't merge, then he still knew yeah. uh, his mm-hmm. UTX. Especially if the, the attack comes when you run multiple clients. You have, like, six computers, eight computers, then all of a sudden, you know, 15 of the people in the... This is why... Are you? This is why they charge a fee, besides that they want to make money. But the idea is that, like, the attacker Civil has to... resistant. It's like, the, yeah, the same idea as, like, Lightning Network, where the attacker has to... Um, pay yeah to pay into the network in order to do it i mean when we were talking about like attack from the u.s government Mm -hmm. well we were talking about just a major world government i mean i see the attack as or at least the first step i mean i think the forks might have been an attack i think they might have been trying to increase the block size to reduce node count and stuff like that yeah um and create division when that didn't work. Just mess up the resilience of the network. You know, you have bigger blocks, naturally less people are gonna run nodes yeah. and it's gonna be easier to attack. But the next round of attacks is gonna be already on this next year's tax form, we're gonna have to check a box that says that we've sent, received, owned, whatever, interacted with Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. So that's a first disclosure. And then starting from here, what's gonna happen is they're gonna slowly get to the point where we have to disclose every address, all our balances, all that stuff. And and the question is going to be at that point. Are we going to um, fucking stand up and say, fuck you. I deserve some financial privacy. You don't have any business knowing all this shit. Fuck off. Well, that will only work if. No, if people stand up, sack and, up and fucking fight for your right for financial freedom. And if they have the proper tools to actually cover their tracks. Because if well. they don't. If they don't, but then you're no. just saying fuck you and writing it into like an indelible. Well, well I'm I'm not worried about the tools. I'm more worried about the people standing up and saying fuck you. I'm I I'm I'm confident the tools will be there. I'm not as confident that people won't have the balls to stand up for the rights. We need to get coin join. Uh, Apathy. That's my biggest worry for Bitcoin, and I don't think if you like like how do we how do we get people like fucking cognizant of the fact that they have to worry about this shit like our the future 
of our digital world. We are transitioning into a digital age and we have one or two ways we can go. We can be completely surveilled. We can be fucking cows on a digital panopticon or we can do the hard work. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be exponentially harder, but it's going to be fucking worth it. And we are literally at this turning point. And again, I'm not worried about the tools not being there. I'm worried about people just rolling over. And that, like, how do we light a fire under everybody's ass? All I'm saying is, uh, being. And I'm able not yelling at you. I'm just getting like I fucking know, fired up on the moonshine. Able to, being able to, <laughs> being able to deny that you, that you use and own Bitcoin, um, is way more defensible and harder to beat down from a societal angle than them knowing exactly how much you have how you spend I agree. it and you're just saying fuck you to them right like mm-hmm. that's the key like, i agree 100 percent. i agree you got to back it up with action like, like make it hard tell, for them yeah you tell the feds like oh i lost it in like a boating accident and then i'm not they saying see, like, individually you go to the irs your irs agent and be like no i'm not doing this i'm saying we need a conversation to happen in around the world there frankly. needs to be a public discourse about this right about what kind of world we, we want to live in and what kind of world we want to leave for our children Right? And it's not happening. Dude, public disclosures are going to be the easiest thing. Like, why wouldn't they? No, discourse. So you need people to talk about the problems. I know, but I'm saying, regardless, like, it's, it's, it's going to come down to the same exact... Like, people were saying they didn't want their Swiss bank accounts to be disclosed, right? Like, they had mm-hmm. to disclose them. Like, the, the U.S. government has precedent here. This is like a... I'm surprised I, I they get don't all this. Do it already. I understand all this. But it has gotten to a point where it's like, I'm proverbially trying to shake everybody right now. I'm Billy Madison shaking you. I'm not, I'm not saying stay here <laughs> as long as possible. I'm saying wake the fuck up. Like, again, we have a decision to make. We can be complacent, roll over, and roll into a fucking hellscape of a future where we can fight for something where people have freedom. And it's all about freedom at the end of the day, liberty. Like, I, I don't know what it is about, like, who I am, but I just have like a visceral hatred for authority not hatred but like it, I physically shake when somebody tries to tell me what to do or, or dictate what I do in my life it's not hatred it's it's you know it's a it's questioning not, it, it's, it's evaluating can't what, have what hate in your heart are. can't have hate yeah. in your heart freaks it's all about peace and love but yeah. no again the moonshine's getting me more proud of, but it's like <laughs> yeah it's a yeah, yeah it's moonshine so moonshine's mm-hmm. moonshine's a passionate yeah, drunk it's a passionate drunk it's quite good yeah um no, it's like a visceral, like, just like something is not right. That's the way I'll put it. I think that's the difference between us and the altcoiners. I feel like Bitcoiners are um, somewhat philosophically driven, whereas altcoiners are just trying to increase the fiat-denominated value in their bank accounts. I don't disagree. So what philosophically, like, what are the pillars of your philosophical leaning towards Bitcoin? Um, I think it all stems essentially from this understanding or this belief rather that humans are inherently good, that we're put on this earth for a reason, that, um, that we thrive when we have opportunities, when we have freedoms, um, and when those things are taken away, uh, things get quite ugly and our opportunities go away. And the overall health of the society diminishes, I would say. Yeah, this is what we're dealing with, freaks. 
Are you guys as worried as I am? About, like, the apathy part? Uh, yeah, because you see it everywhere, and even with real issues that affect people today, whether it be Hong Kong or what's going on in Yemen or, you know, even various... Nobody talks about Yemen. Thank you for bringing up Yemen. Yeah, it's really messed up. But but even stuff that happens in in the States that could affect anyone, people don't want to worry about it. At the end of the day, people just want to go home at the end of the day after working 9 to 5 and put on their favorite soap or whatever and drink their wine not worry about it. so yeah ap- apathy is you know a huge hurdle i would say i would counter with two points uh the first point is there's very few things people care more about than their money so there's a very powerful <laughs> incentive here okay uh, that you don't see with other systems and then the second thing is we really just need a super hyper engaged uh like minority just like a really you know, super passionate group of, of highly engaged people. And that's like what we... Is that us? Yeah, that's what we foster on like Bitcoin Twitter and on, you know, IRC and Telegram and podcasts and yeah, workshops absolutely. and stuff, right? 100%. And we're, we're really, you know... Is it enough? Though? Like, what't the ratio there? We don't Is it need, enough? Can, can we just have like one of 20 people just be hyper or whatever? That's a lot. 5%? Hey, listen, it was only what? Like... Three percent of the revolutionaries that took up arms against the British, and that's all it took. That's a good point. That's a very good point. So maybe really we might be overshooting it. Yeah, three percenters. <laughs> there you go. Shouts to them. So it's three. Three percent is like one in twenty, one in twenty-seven or something. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think about how many people in the world. What is there? Eight billion right one now. thirty-three. That's all right. It's the moonshine. Oh fuck. <laughs> We're not, yeah, yeah. we're not too good at math here. <laughs> <laughs> we're working on it. It's all right. Um, God damn it. Nah, but I do feel... Am I just wasting my breath, like, getting all pat, like, getting all worked up about this shit? Like, is it... Am I just going to be fucking fighting against the current, trying to get people to care? Yeah, I mean... I was trying to tell my cousin this, because he's very passionate, too. Um... Stop trying to red pill people so much and start working on the defense system for Zion. I feel because the either someone wants to hear this, this red pilling of, you know, the values that we want to promote or they don't like it's it's not going to you're not going to move someone over like it's you're not being very humble thinking that you can move mountains like that. So I think we we make more of an impact in our actions than our words, I would say. And we need to keep acting in a manner that are gonna, that's gonna provoke, promote the values that we have, I think. That's very eloquently put. I love that. Uh, stop trying to feed people red pills and start building Zion's defenses. Zion. I've never heard that one, dude. Yeah, I thought of it myself. Good, I like that. Zion dude. would be a great name for a lightning app. Zion. <laughs> Some care. Days. Better get better get the uh, domain before Mac is. Well, I mean, Zion.com oh, is definitely with Odell. Taken. You know, he's got all Zion. the domains. Zion.com is definitely. Taken. I don't yeah. stand a chance. No, yeah, no. I've definitely. Uh, I was that uh, that that person trying to red pill people about Bitcoin at parties and all the time. But uh, I've definitely taken the the pedal off the metal the last two two three so, years. So Marty, what you need to do is just be let people know that you're there, you're available for them anytime they are willing to take the red pill. 
you're there to talk to them about it and guide them in the right direction, but why try to fight yeah. something that no, they don't that. they don't want to they some people don't want to be unplugged. That's my uh that's my that's my go to right now. It is a lot less stressful. And uh you get into bit more better conversations too. People stop avoiding you at family parties, you know. No, but if they <laughs> ask you my issue now recently has been if they ask me what I do. <laughs> or like where I've been lately. It's like, oh, I was in Latvia. Why were you in Latvia? It's like, oh, I was, I just, was at a Bitcoin conference. And then, like, at that point, like, you have no choice but to show Bitcoin. Like, right. why'd you? Well, that, that... Yeah, but that's part of your actions, too. Like, and it makes them think, like, it would be one thing if Matt was just a recluse in his bedroom just reading about it all day. But, like, Matt is going to conferences now. Matt's talking to all these people. Matt's running a podcast now. Like, it makes them think a little bit more than that, too, you know? Yeah. No, I, I yeah. I think uh, I'm interested to see what my uh, my family thinks of the Real Vision interview. Seem like I can't wait to watch. Think it. some of the people like think I'm gonna do a trial membership. I'm interested to see if anybody <laughs> it's only from a dollar for three months. Oh, I'm interested bad. to see if anybody from my old uh, old work reaches out. One person has already, but like, oh my god, Bitcoin Marty is on Real Vision now. It's like what the fuck? Even me, like God, my fucking face on that on that uh, on that recording. Sorry for the fat face, freaks. Hmm. I'm gonna stop drinking. And it wasn't uh, a fat face. You looked great. Thank you, Matt. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think you don't, you don't focus on necessarily like pre-coiners. You focus on the, the people who are already Here's a good question. want to learn, right? What should we focus outside of Bitcoin? Uh, what uh, parallel or tangential to Bitcoin do you think is uh, something that could be helpful to its success that we should be championing? Uh, instead of thinking big scale, how you're going to change the world or the country or New York State or... The city, think about as local as you can and think about uh, the people you interact with on a daily basis and what your interactions with them are like and how you could organize locally to you know, meet people with the same ideas with you. I think the more direct and more local your actions are, the bigger of a real impact they are. You know? What drives this philosophy? This is something that seems very well thought out in your mind. You know, I think it all goes around along with the decentralized nature of Bitcoin. Um, you're, and just governance, really, like you're going to get more of an effect by going to your town's uh, town hall meeting than you are the town hall meeting for New York City or New York State. <laughs> or Occupy Wall Street, where they're trying to solve. Or Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, sometimes you're just better off writing uh, the software at home that people are going to interact with than trying to uh, flood their minds with your viewpoints. Right. Do more, more action. More action, yeah. I have a completely out of the box, you know, going back to the earlier conversation about Zeus. Sure um, so Zeus, the whole point of Zeus is your mobile phone connected back to your, um, your routing node, basically, right? Or not necessarily a routing node. I guess it could just be like a private consumer node. Yeah, it could just be your regular node. But the idea is you have another node set up somewhere in the world that you'd like to connect to and use that as your home base to make transactions from. Right. So um, one of the cool things is, you know, like early on, right in the beginning, that functionality was available, but it was only available on, on your local network, right? And now if you go through Tor, you can connect remotely wherever you are. You can connect back to your node back at home, right? Yep. So do you think... Should people be concerned at all about the increased attack surface of having 
all the functionalities of their node on their phone. Is, is that something that, what are your thoughts on that? That is absolutely a concern to have, That's I think. Passcodes don't use biometrics. Yeah, you know, um, stuff like biometrics, like your face and your fingerprints, those aren't passwords. Those are usernames. You shouldn't be using them on anything really sensitive. So, um, yeah, Zeus currently has a password function in there. Um, it's not bulletproof. There's a couple of bugs in there, but uh, generally speaking, it'll keep your app secure. Um, we're going to be iterating on that in version 0.1.2, hopefully. Um, but, you know, there's still other things that can be done and should be done. Um, so specifically speaking to L&D, I am really, really, really looking forward to uh, more customization over your macaroons, right? So, um, you know, let's say you're connecting to a game on Facebook and you want to do lightning transactions and it, it charges you every day to get some service. You probably don't want to give up your macaroon that has full read and write access to your node to Facebook. Yeah, right, that's ridiculous. That's, that's what we were doing to, uh, but that's what yeah, it would be insane. Jules' solution was that that's for a little bit. That's what Jules was doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and Zeus, right now, if you want to have uh, the ability to send payments, right now, you have to give it the admin macaroon. But the things that uh, they're working over on that uh, on the L and D project, I, I think Rose Beef is trying to tackle this one too. Um, is you're going to have these modular macaroons. Like, so let's say in this hypothetical situation I painted with a Facebook app, you might want to say, okay, give this app a thousand sats a day. And then after that, cancel all transactions. And then from that macaroon, you'll also be able to potentially audit all the transactions that got made with it at the end of the day. And you're like, hmm, uh, you know, Facebook is charging me, you know, a couple hundred extra sats on they said they would originally. Let me revoke the permissions from this macaroon altogether. So I think having more granular control over uh, your node and more specifically the access control to your node is going to come a long way. And I think that's going to come much sooner than later. And I'm very much looking forward to it. That seems like it would be a huge improvement, right? Because then you can just go into... Uh, like set allowances or something like that. You yeah. Go on a website, like oh, granular permissions, like we have on the phone. And like and stuff. It, yeah, yeah, it would sure. be even easier. Like you would click the dime bag buy a thought button, and it would just buy it. You wouldn't even have to to fucking. No, but in this case, it'd be giving permissions to the app, right? So you'd still copy and paste or whatever. But if your extension had the permission, but then I could say, listen, I'll only give in a hundred sets to TFTC a day. And so I make sure right. uh, Matt and Marty aren't running away with my full stash or whatever. No, but I w we wouldn't be pulling that from you, right? You'd be able to come to the site. Oh, yeah, of, of course. And in this scenario, we're saying it's like a full application that you pass the whole macaroon to and you're not interacting with it with the wallet. But still, like, you know, let's say Zeus hypothetically had a bugs or a backdoor or something. It would be much more... Uh, you know, you'd be much more reassured to know that you're passing it a macaroon that has a limit as to how many sats you could spend a day or a week or a month, et cetera, on, uh, rather than giving the app the, you know, full keys to the castle. Yeah, I mean, my thought was even, like, you know, we spend all this time, like, building, you spend all this time building, like, this node, and it's all open source, and you, you try and do it all completely right, 
and then you sync it with Zeus on your iPhone and you just run it all on a walled guard in like inside a, cause you're on, you're on iPhone too, right? No, Android I'm an only? Android guy. So, Android only? so unfortunately, at the moment, yeah. uh, to connect Zeus end to end with Tor, you have to be on Android. But we are looking at some solutions for running Tor within, uh, you know, within Zeus on iOS. You see what Greenwald, Greenwald just did? figured it out. Yeah, I was looking at Greenwald's Swift code, and uh, I think that's going to go a long way for. Uh, enabling Tor support on other walls. Obviously, there's other nuances that it's got to cover. Like, uh, for example, um, with Zeus, we like to use Tor hidden services, right? So uh, you set up what port uh, the Tor hidden service is on, and it will generate a Tor cookie for you. So if you don't have this cookie that's passed into Orbot, um, you can't access the service. It's going to look like it doesn't exist. It's not going to reply at all. Um, so there's some nuance into how that could be added on an iOS app, and you know we need to navigate that landscape. But it seems like um, there's going to be a lot of advancements with um, Tor built into iOS apps, and Blockstream and uh, Green Wallet really illustrated that this week. Wait, so then how does Zap do it on iPhone? Um, don't quote me exactly. I do not think that Zap supports. Uh, connections to Tor addresses right but it, now. It, can, it supports remote, but not through Tor. Yeah, it supports remote. We're, not, you're we're using, not running through Tor. Yeah, the, our site yeah, uses so, it. So a lot of people right now are using this VPN-like technology called Zero Tier to connect but to. I don't think that's what they're using either. That's what Noddle guys are using for a while, right? Uh, yeah, I think they've plugged that a whole bunch. Yeah, I don't think... I'm pretty positive our, our Zap... Uh, you, like, scanned a QR code, yeah, right? Yeah, I scanned a QR code. That's all I did. I mean, you could still connect to Tor nodes and have the node communicate on Tor. It's just that I don't think it's possible to connect to your uh, node from Zap with Tor right now. But I think they're working on it. I think uh, I've seen them tweet about it. Yeah, I mean, the way I discovered your app was it was the Android's app because they didn't have an Android app for the longest time. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have an iPhone app for the longest time. You still don't have one. No, no, right. we do. We have. Oh, yeah. you have it. You just can't connect it, remotely. Uh, you just can't, local. You just can't connect remotely, and to da to access the app right now, you need to go through TestFlight. It's not on iOS App Store. Give me some access to that bitch. I <laughs> know, uh, man. The Apple restrictions are really crazy. For me to even get on the App Store, I have to register as a company. And, you know, Zeus is a little early stages. I'm not really sure where things are going to go exactly. That's insane. You have to be a registered company, and then I think there's some other licenses you got to have. Either. Dude. Whereas Google Play, I just sign up with my account, I plug it, drag the APK, which is like the executable essentially, yeah. onto the platform, it uploads, and... It just works. It just works. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, even F-Droid's less of a hassle. Where, uh, where can freaks help you? Where can they help me? How uh, can they help you? How can they help me? And uh, where? Anywhere. So uh, we could use more people just using... Uh, Zeus, they can download it from Google Play, F-Droid if you've got an Android and are into open source software like that, or they can get on our test flight. Um, you could access the links to all these things on ZeusLN.app. If you're a programmer, I would really appreciate uh, if you went and tried and checked out the code. Uh, if you had saw any bugs, file an issue on GitHub. Um, 
join us on Telegram. We're on Telegram. There's a link on the webpage, or you could join the group. It's uh, Zeus LN, Zeus LN on Twitter. And uh, yeah, just if you like it, spread the word, tell your friends about it, and uh, try it out and just give us feedback. Any feedback, whether it be positive or negative, is always much appreciated in my book. Yeah. Well, go ahead. One more topic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Just- you want to talk about the Raspi Blitz at all? Your experiences with that? Uh, yeah, Raspi Blitz. We so, don't talk um, about it enough on the podcast. Raspi Blitz <laughs> is it the the uh, is it the Lightning implementation? Raspi Blitz is a not Lightning. It's a it's a GitHub project and tutorial on how to put together your own Lightning network mm. node. So for one hundred and thirty dollars US, roughly. Uh, you get, uh, I think, last time I, I did it, it was a Raspberry Pi 3. And now they do it with the 4, right? Oh, they've upgraded it. Excellent. Upgrade. Yeah, so the one I bought was had a case, a Raspberry Pi 3, a display, which is really nice touch, uh, and then, like, a uh, spinning disk hard drive. And this was, like, my first real lightning node. Um, and, you know, after working with the project and talking to the maintainers, we were actually able to get an integration there. So we've got four really big integrations for Zeus. So Raspi Blitz, Noddle. Boss, boss. MyNode, BTC. I just Have you tried a- that yet? I just learned about that this week. No, but I'm thinking about turning the Raspi Blitz Pi into a MyNode BTC. I, I was listening to the podcast on Stefan uh, Leveras, and I've been poking into the group, and seems like he has like a full tour integration set up too so if you want to use zeus over tour i think that's a premium feature for them that seemed just at uh, an arm's length that seemed like a very sexy setup very modular very uh yeah it's yeah. it seems very simple the ui is straightforward um it's very affordable so if you want to get like the you know pre-built solution um it's only like 280 dollars which is it comes pre-built comes pre-built i think he syncs it which you know, there's trade-offs there. If you don't, if you want to unsync it and sync it yourself, you could do, do that too. Do you think anyone should be using a spinning disk at the prices that SSDs are right now? No, 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 no. And that is my biggest uh, critique of the Raspi Blitz is that uh, spinning disk hard drive, especially with the amount of writes that you're doing to it, more prone to failure. You are much better off biting the bullet, spend a little bit more, get the solid state and drive. Not that expensive anymore. No, they come down like all the time now. It's fantastic. So, like a one terabyte is what, like sixty dollars? What's the difference I don't between think it's that the cheap, two? But it's close. Uh, one is a spinning disk. It's much more affordable. It, we've been using them in computers for uh, you know decades now. But since there's all these metal spinning components going on in them, they're you know more likely like to break. You know, you you've, you've got like a literal storage, needle yeah. that's reading and writing from it. Uh, there's stuff to bound to get messed up, whereas SSD is like completely flash, nothing is moving at all. You're just pumping, uh, pumping pure data, into it. and they're yeah. way fucking slower. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's a huge bottleneck. I would say when you switch to an SSD when you're running in a Lightning node, um, especially initial block download, the initial block download, the time it takes for that is goes down by by so much. It's really significant, to be honest. You're going to save yourself a lot of headache. You're going to save yourself uh, from crashes. I had my Raspi uh, Blitz crash a couple times when it was on a spinning disk hard drive. So, yeah, 
if you're serious about this and you want to interact with Lightning and have a 24-7 node, use an SSD and use static channel backups to like a USB you plug into there. And now you're all wiser after having spoke to have include us. Evan, fuck man. Do you have any like parting notes? Like anything, uh, anything you want freaks to focus on? We're almost two hours in here. This is my, uh, this has been a, a hell week for your boy here. Not a oh, hell man. week. Oh man. I, I, it's just been great. Like I, I was nervous about this, but cause honestly I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Dude, like when I crushed it, when I was building Zeus, you know how many episodes of fucking TFTC I listened to? Yes. It really helped push it along. I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry you had to <laughs> listen to all my stupid thoughts. No, it's all right. It was much appreciated. Every episode, I learned a little something. But um, yeah, I, I'd want to leave the freaks with a little parting note, a little quote to just, you know, get the engine revving and try to stimulate some thoughts. Um, this quote is by Ayn Rand. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, objectivism and her philosophy per se, but... I think this quote really resonated with me and I would like to share it with everyone. So it goes like this. Civilization is the progress toward a society of privacy. The savage's whole existence is public and ruled by the laws of his tribe. Civilization is the process of setting man free from men. Peace and love, freaks.